Well, as I was saying to Ron beforehand, you know, when you read the Bible out loud, you got to have some kind of a, an advisory warning at, at, to begin with, like a parental parental warning. You know, this is adult content here. Lots of lots of adult content going on for both our gospel and our first passage. I'm going to focus, though, again on our first passage. It's a remarkable, remarkable passage from the Book of Maccabees. This this woman, the mother, is astounding, outstanding person. We see so much. Uh, Amazing, admirable, and virtuous things uh, in her character. Um, she and her sons were taken uh, as inspiration by the early Christian martyrs. This was a text that was preached on a lot in the ancient church and was uh, used as motivation for a lot of the ancient Christian martyrs. And it's kind of ironic because it's an Old Testament text. When we think of martyrs, we think of martyrs for Christ, we think of uh, the age of the martyrs, the first 400 years or 300 years of the church. Uh, and yet here we have uh, not a Christian um, uh, writing, but, a, but an Old Testament, a Jewish writing. Well, what can I say about this? I don't know. There's, there's a lot going on here. Um, I think the one thing we see here with this, this mother who is, who is willingly sacrificing her sons is uh, a paradigm for how, how mothers should relate to their sons. And that is, um, they are able, she's able to let them go. Every child, whether they're male or female child, are born into the world, from they come from their mother's body. And there's a special connection to the mother and the child, uh, as opposed to the, the connection with the father. Fathers have to work at being fathers. Mothers, it comes more natural to them because the child comes right from them and is, is nursed by them and is close to them. And the, the women are, are equipped uh, by, by nature with all the right uh, hormones and biology to do everything it takes to nurture and take care of that child. And at first, the child can't even differentiate itself from its own mother. It's just, it's just this one unified uh ocean of love and nurturance and little by little the child starts to differentiate itself and I said this in a homily uh, two Sundays ago where you know the, the child goes through the no stages no, no, no and that, that's the part of the separation process that takes place but that part of the separation process takes place um, in, a, in a very extreme mode from about the age of eight, 8 to about 18 especially for male children because the male child starts to grow up and he starts to realize, you know, mom is a woman and I'm a man. And so he all the more has to separate himself from his mother. And the task of every young boy, uh, and this is true of boys, it's not so much true of, little gr- of girls. The task of every boy seems to be, this is almost like the main task that he has, is to, is to become independent from his mother. Even if he's not reasoning consciously that way, so unconsciously, this is his task. He has to move out of the sphere of the mother and towards the sphere of the father. And the father becomes, for him, a kind of a destiny. And he unconsciously imitates the father and learns from the father what it is to be a man as opposed to a woman like his mother. And there's that whole process of separation. And it's uh, a wise mother understands that that process has to take place, and she's able to let the child, the, the male son especially, she's able to let him go. And when mothers can't do that, when they don't navigate that process of separation, 
um, accurately and the father is not doing his job. Maybe he's distant, he's unaffirming of the child, of the boy, whatsoever. There's a lot of uh, mischief that takes place in the psychological development of the boy. The, the overmothering and there's, there can, it can lead to a lot of, a lot of problems, a lot of interpersonal problems that set him up and handicap him for having mature adult relationships with, with other people and with women in general. We see that whole process, I think, taking place here in an extreme version, okay? And that the mother that we're looking at is so able in a wise and prudent manner to know the limitations of her own motherhood that she's able to let her seven sons, seven sons, die right before her eyes. And she actually encourages them to do that. So she is actually facilitating this process of them coming into their own masculinity and demonstrating courage. And it even says at one point that she speaks almost with a heart of a man. Okay, it's almost like she's playing the role of the father as well as the mother. And I, I think she's able to do that because she knows uh, her own limitations and she is demonstrating the virtue of humility. She's remembering that she's only a human being and that God is the supreme creator who made everything that we see out of nothing. And that her sons, her little babies, are not hers in an absolute sense, that they belong to God. And she's able to entrust them to God, that God's going to take care of them. She doesn't have to be their mother for eternity. Okay, She doesn't have to mother them forever. God is going to take care of them. And uh, though they die, they die in obedience to God's law, and God will raise them up on the last day. And they will be vindicated and glorified, and then she'll actually be able to have that communion with them. You know, with every every healthy development of a son separating from his mother, there comes a time when he is a full adult that can stand on his own, and he comes back into communion with his mother, and the relationship is better than it's ever been before. You get a 25-year-old son who's finally come into his own independence and, and manhood, and he's able to come back with his mother. His mother's more proud of him than ever before. The relationship's better than ever was before. It's the same thing we see going on here, but it, again, in spades, in a, in a very extreme form. She knows that she's able, she's going to let go of her sons, and if she's able to let go of them, she's going to get them back in eternity and be in relationship with them more intimately, more deeply, and in a more fulfilling way than she could ever possibly conceive or imagine. Uh, and ironically, if she can't do that, she can't let go of her sons, she's not going to be in communion with them because they're going to end up in hell because they'll have apostatized from their, from their faith and they won't be resurrected to eternal life. Uh, reminds me of a story, a famous story from our monastic tradition. And it goes, this goes back to the third, fourth century, fourth century, maybe early fifth century. Uh, these two brothers go out in the desert to live as monks, and they lock themselves up in a tomb. <laughs> okay, pretty extreme, right? They lock themselves up in a tomb, and their mother comes to them. Oh, my sons, please let me in. I want to see your face. Don't separate yourself from me like this. And the sons say to her, one of the sons says to her, Would you want to see us now, or do you want to see us forever in eternity? She says, Oh, I understand. I want to see you forever in eternity. So she's able to now to walk away and separate herself. Because she understands that they have to 
before they can come into true communion with each other, they've got to stand on their own feet. And they've and they got to do what they got to do in obedience to a higher authority than, than that of their mother. Um, and this is the wisdom that we see here, I mean, displayed in, in an amazing way uh, from the, the mother of the, the seven uh, Maccabees martyrs. Today, my brothers and sisters, let us imitate that virtue that we see in her, both men and women, we can imitate her uh, because we can, like her, recognize her own limitations and that we are created out of nothing from God. And we did not make ourselves, we are not our own bosses ultimately, we are not our own, you know, uh, gods, that God is God and we can trust him with everything uh, implicitly.